Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford. And joining me today, we have a very special guest. Very gracious of him to give us his time today. It is a man who really needs no introduction, but you know him as the Black Knight. He's the most successful international golfer of all time. And his name is Gary Player. Gary, how's it going? It's going very well, thank you, Al. In spite of the difficult times that we're going through, uh, I'm very fortunate. But first of all, let me just say my heart goes out to those who've had some sad times with this pandemic. But um, for me, I'm very fortunate. I'm staying with my daughter and son-in-law, nine of us in the house because my wife and I came from South Africa to be here. My grandson did his mission for his church in Spain for two years and we got back and they closed the airlines the following day. So we were all very lucky They have a wonderful forest adjoining their property. They have a gymnasium and uh, also a simulator where you can hit balls into the net. So I'm kept quite busy, I'm happy to say, and reading and and doing my exercises. I'm very blessed. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that initial message at the beginning. And um, I'm sure all of our listeners appreciate it and are glad to know that you're doing well. What has your life been like for the past one or two months, uh, how have you been able to adjust to everything? I think uh, change is the price of survival. One has got to make yourself keep occupied. One has got to keep very uh, hopeful and positive. There have been pandemics in the world that have been worse than this. Uh, In the world, there were somewhere where 500 million people on the earth were affected. Uh, I think it was smallpox and uh, some other disease. I was just reading about it, and 50 million people in the world died over a period. You also had the uh, Hong Kong flu in 1968 and 70, where a million people died. So really, um, we've got to hang in there and be positive. Personally, I'd like to see, you know, what worries me is what's going to happen to the economy with people, with the knockdown, I was wondering, I was thinking, I wonder if they couldn't come out with a a rule. People over the age of, say, 70, keeping them in a lockdown and in their homes, but young people get back to work. The sooner that happens, I think I just can't bear to think what's going to happen if there's a recession or even a depression because the number of people that are out of work now, it's over 20 million. And having been a poor boy myself growing up, You've got to have food on your table. You've got to have a job. Uh, and, you know, and the president had the economy in such great shape, best it ever was. Only 3% of people unemployed, lowering taxes, meeting Kim Jong-un on the demilitarized zone, which no president had ever done. So many things going so well for the United States. And then all of a sudden this comes up. My goodness me, what a tough time and what a tough job. But we've, we've got to get people back to work as, as soon as we can. Uh, I wouldn't like to have the position of the president. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And it is the most important position in the world. And it is the, the America is the greatest country in the world, but you've got to work together to keep it that way. Well, let's, let's all hope that we, we can get past this very soon and get back to doing things like getting out on the golf course around the world. I know some places are still open, some are closed, but, but hopefully we'll all be able to, uh, to get back out there soon. So right before all this started, you were actually getting ready for your annual visit back to Augusta National. 
um, and getting ready for the uh, ceremonial tee shot that you do every year. As, as many know, you have played in the Masters more times than anyone else, 52 times uh, over the course of your golfing career. Um, how much did it make you miss not being there this year at Augusta? I missed it dreadfully because it's a place where all people in the golf industry get together from around the world and there's no substitute for personal contact. You know, golf does so much for the world economy. If you think what it does for the American economy, it's unbelievable. Uh, I'm so pleased that you have a president that plays golf. That to me is a, a very significant thing. More people watch golf tournaments than any sport in America. There's a golf tournament every week around the world other than on holidays. And uh, you have players playing from all over the world and American players playing and they're wonderful ambassadors for America. And people travel here by the tens of millions to come and play golf courses in America. So, and it creates so many jobs and that to me is so important. So golf plays a very significant role in one's economy and, and one's country. Yeah. And speaking of the president, you were due to receive, you still are, but we had to postpone the ceremony a bit, but um, it was announced that along with Annika Sorenstam, you were to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. What does that mean to you to receive that award? Well, you know, I've been a professional golfer for a long, long time, close to 70 years now, and I've traveled more miles than any human being ever. I've been bestowed with some of the greatest honors that anybody could wish to be fortunate enough to receive. But the Presidential Award of America, for me, outshines them all. I'm very humbled, I'm very honored, and the thing that makes me so good, that a man like President Trump is aware of the things that I've tried to do when it comes to human rights and freedom. Uh, let me just say that my brother went to war from South Africa when he was 17, 17, think about it, and my future brother-in-law was killed in the war, fighting with the Americans and fighting with the British to gain freedom. Now, the thing is this, that so many soldiers, you look at Normandy, you look at uh, Dunkirk, you look at uh, what happened in Hawaii there, it was, and you look what happened in so many places, these young men went to war and fought for freedom. And if we never won the war, where would we be today? That's frightening to think what we would be doing and not enjoying the freedom. And freedom is something that is dying in the world very rapidly. If you take a pen and pencil and look at a map and say, is there freedom, entire freedom in that country? Very little freedom is left. And America is the stronghold. And we've got to make the students of America realize how important freedom is and not to take it for granted. It's not luck. Luck is the residue of design and the people that died for it. And I've spent a lot of my life and I'd like to be recognized when I die one day that I did more for freedom and human rights than I did winning golf tournaments. I don't think that'll happen, but I'd like that to happen. And when I think of, I'd like to tell you a lovely story that happened with Charlie Sifford when I first came to America, I watched it. I was down in LA and he came and introduced himself to me and he wasn't allowed to play in the tournament. He was not allowed to play on the tour. And I went to the PGA at that time and I went to his club. I did everything to help get him on the tour and he always appreciated that. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, 
he asked a white South African to induct him into the Hall of Fame. That was probably the second best honor that I've had. And then Lee Elder came down to South Africa. I went to our president at that time in the midst of apartheid, and I wanted to put a spoke in the wheel of apartheid. And I asked him if I could invite, can you, isn't it so sad in those days you had to get permission. And I asked him if I could bring a black golfer from America to play in our PGA. And he looked at me and I thought he's going to say no. And he said, go ahead. And Lee Holder and a great strain from certain black people in this country put on him not to go. And I was called a traitor and inviting a black golfer to come and play at our important PGA. Anyway, it went ahead and we did other venues as well. And Lee Holder had a lot of courage to come down there, something I've always appreciated. And I've spent my life trying to do things for our black people in South Africa and underprivileged people around the world. We've raised millions of dollars around the world and changed tens of thousands of people of lives. And I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to sit here and boast. But that's something that I appreciated, a man like Donald Trump taking the trouble to find out what I've done. And so this, this will mean more to me than any award I've ever received. Well, certainly well-deserved, and congratulations again uh, on that honor. And you talked a little bit about uh, all of the travel you've done in your life and just thought it interesting reading on your, your World Golf Hall of Fame page. It says you spent more than three years of your life in planes um, and traveled around the world some 28 million kilometers. Can't travel right now, but what places are you looking forward to traveling to again once we're able to return to somewhat of a normal travel ability? I was supposed to go to India to open a golf course we've uh, finished designing and then I was supposed to go to Abu Dhabi for a Gary Player Invitational. We cancelled, well we postponed both of those because I was on my way uh, after that to get the Medal of Freedom and I thought well if I go to these countries I might be in quarantine there and miss the medal. Well, unlucky, uh, just it so happened that uh, the, the award hasn't taken place yet. It's just been postponed. And so I'm looking forward to going back to India and China and when that comes about and Abu Dhabi and, and to Britain, but the, the British Open is being cancelled. So a lot of things are up in the air at the moment. We're just living day by day, but uh, I'm very fortunate I just do, I'm doing a lot of reading and I always have on health, on food and fitness and the mind. And I'm reading a very interesting book at the moment, but it's surprising that I'm 84 and really I probably am equivalent of a man of 60 or 55 in strength and fitness and mind and energy. So uh, I represent a lot of companies and so I'm surprised that I'm this healthy because of all the radiation that I receive from airplanes, having traveled so much, and also the different waters and foods around the world. But there's an answer to that, uh, Al, and that is exercise. And you know, one of the great dreams I've always had in America is to get the message through to the young people to stay fit, to exercise and to eat properly, and to get a great education and to honor their mothers and their fathers. But you know, to get people to exercise today, and eat properly, it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Uh, you know, I've just been looking at some movies here uh, in the evening. My whole life has changed. I was always in bed at 9.30 asleep, up at 6 o'clock or even earlier. Now I'm going to bed at 12, 
looking at TV, which I've never really done in my life, I've always been very interested in news and, and good uh, publications and up early, but I mean, my whole life, I'm up every morning at nine o'clock now. It's just quite, uh, quite very, very, very straight. Well, I know that uh, you're setting a great example for your grandchildren with your messages and you set a great example in general in the game of golf too. You you were one of the first players to really put a focus on physical fitness and, and exercise and staying healthy and in shape and you started to see that grow and nowadays working out and exercise strength training is such a big part of, of the professional game. Did you see that evolve when you came on? Did you did more guys start to notice how it affected your game and, and kind of incorporating that into their training? Did you notice that? Well, I like to think that I was instrumental in getting people to work out with weights and exercise. Uh, there were only two of us on the whole tour that ever did exercise, and the rest, they were all ridiculed. A man was called Frank Stranahan, who finished second at the British Open. He was a top golfer. He and I were the only two that did it, and we were ridiculed and said you couldn't do weight training and you couldn't play golf lifting weights. What a lot of nonsense. Uh, even the golf channels, some of the, the commentators said when Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods were playing badly, they were playing badly because they were lifting too heavy a weights. Well, Tiger Woods played his very best when he was most bulked up, and Rory's bulked up and lifts heavy weights. Kepka does 17 bench presses of 250 pounds before he plays. And I mean, people talk about subjects that they know very, very little about. And that is very disturbing because we've got to get young people today. Weight training is essential in your life. It's essential to do that exercise every day. It, it exercises the brains, it gets the blood flowing there, it makes your heart stronger, it makes your bones and your muscles stronger. So we got to get the young people to do exercise. Want to uh, shift gears a little bit, and maybe you've been able to do some of this in your downtime right now, but um, you've been very successful as a golf course designer as well and, and designed hundreds of golf courses all over the world. And I'd like to know, if you, are you still being very active in your design business, and how has your philosophy and your style changed over the years in terms of designing golf courses? Well, the golf industry is a little bit quiet at the moment. We are designing and getting busy to do, uh, you know, uh, more golf courses around the globe, but not as, uh, not as uh, buoyant as it was years ago, understandably so, and also in these times. But my philosophy on golf is, is a little different to most people. I don't believe in undulating greens because the average member who is the heart of the game, not the professional golfer, the average member hates undulating greens. He can't play on undulating greens. Pros struggle to do it. And not to make the golf courses too long and to make the fairways wider and not to have bunkers in front of the greens, put the bunkers on the side of the green and to make golf courses beautiful and pleasant. That's my philosophy on golf, to make people come out after having a week of a lot of pressure in the office and in business to come out and relax play nicely and enjoy it. And when I think of what they're doing around the world, the hundreds of millions of dollars that they've wasted on lengthening golf courses, it's frightening. And making golf equipment, which is wonderful for the amateur golfer, but the pro golfer, we've got to cut the ball back 50 yards. They're going to drive the first hole at Augusta 
in 30 to 40 years' time. Maybe sooner. You've got people that can drive it right now, but they're not playing on the tour. You've got these muscle builders who look like Tarzan come out there, they, and everybody says they're muscle-bound, and they string the club below parallel on the backswing, and they hit it 450 yards. Well, the first hole at Augusta is 454 yards. So we've got to be careful. We've got to allocate our monies correctly. The amount of monies that have been spent on changing golf courses around the world, making them longer and tougher, is a disgrace. We're running out of water in the world, big time. By the year 2025, the world will be short of 20% of water. We're using fertilizer over fertilizing, and I'm a farmer, which is bad for the soil. The machinery costs so much money. You take the, the employment, employing more people, using more water, using more electricity. No wonder golf clubs are getting into trouble and, you know, financial trouble. So we've got to use our head. All we've got to leave the golf courses, oh, the members love it. You can make slight alterations and, uh, and in repairing your golf course, but quit making them longer and longer and longer. It just is financially a bad idea and it's chasing away a lot of elderly people who support the game. It's like they stopped the long putter, which I agree with in professional golf. But amateur golf, which is a different game, but most leaders in the game won't recognize that the game is different between the pros and the amateurs. And so, therefore, you chase people away when they're not allowed to use the long putter that have the yips, and they don't play golf anymore because it's terrible playing golf for the yips. Let them play with what they like. Let them enjoy the game and make a different set of rules for the pros. Yeah, it's nice to see when you talk about environmental conservation, you see some, some clubs nowadays that are being built in very minimalist technique, not a lot of shaping and moving going on, but using the natural land. I always love to see yeah. projects like that. And um, also, yeah. think of the money. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Hundreds of millions of dollars around the world have been wasted on altering golf courses to make them longer and more impossible and difficulty has been implied. If we took that money and put it in, as I'm repeating, Winston Churchill said, the youth of a nation are the trustees of posterity. We should have taken that money and put it into golf for juniors to start playing golf because we need people to play golf. Cycling is, is taking away a lot of people from golf. A lot of other sports are taking people away from golf. And when you think about it, golf is the only sport that I know of that has true longevity. I'm 84. I won a tournament on the tour at 63. I still break my age to over 2,000 times in a row now. I want to beat my age. I want to be the first man to ever beat his age by 18 shots in a round. And I'll do that if I live long enough and stay healthy. And golf will help people in their business. It'll enable them to travel. They will make friends from all over the world. Golf is such a great game. We've got to get young people to understand. And this is what we're not doing. They all say, what can you do to get more young people to play golf? We've got to get a message through to them and we should be having professional golfers visit schools all over the United States, explaining, showing videos, and making them understand that people are training like a Michael Jordan trained. They're training for golf. They've got a complete incorrect version of the game of golf. That's a great point. It was always something that my, my father preached to me growing up in the game and how important it is from a social 
standpoint and, and, you know, growing as a man, the game of golf has done a lot for me um, in terms of really maturing and a lot of life lessons you can learn and, and different things kind of correlate to, to real life. So it's, it's a very good, good point you bring up. Gary, I wanted, we, we featured you in the winter 2020 edition of Lynx Magazine in a piece called My Courses. You were our first subject. We thought who would be the best person to start with in terms of thinking about all the courses in the world and fitting categories than Gary Player, who's, who's traveled quite literally probably more than anyone in the sport. So I wanted to revisit some of your answers to these course questions and maybe get a little bit more detail from you on why you picked them. I'll start with the course that produced your sweetest memory. Um, and you said Muirfield in Scotland, uh, where you won your first major at the age of 23. Well, first of all, I wanted to win the Grand Slam. As a, that was always my great dream, because I'd seen that uh, Gene Sarazen, who I'd played golf with, by the way, and Ben Hogan, who I played a lot of golf with, who I always thought was the best golfer I ever saw. He went to war for five years and then had an accident and in his prime never played in 30 majors. Put that in your hat and think about it. Muirfield certainly was because I won my first Open there. I was the youngest man to ever win the Open at that time and I needed the money. And my baby daughter, who was three months old, was with that, my wife and I, and I got my first leg of the Grand Slam in. And the score that I did there might have been better than Phil Mickelson's score because I shot 284 and he shot 280. But I did mine in a hard rain and, and, a, and a, a lot of wind and he did it in perfect conditions with the greens 10 times better than we played, bunkers better, all conditions better. And so that really stuck in my mind. That is, is my great dream. Of course, I had many dreams after that. Of course, you, with Saracen and, and Ben Hogan, you were the third uh, player to complete the career Grand Slam as well. And only one of five all time to accomplish that. So that's a, a great feat for you. Um, I'll backtrack a little bit to the first course you played in your entire life. You said Virginia Park outside of Johannesburg and that you parred the first three holes you ever played. Correct. My dad, I was busy with all other sports. I majored in, in four other sports and my dad said, come and play golf. And I said, not for me. I said, that's a sissy's game. Oh, I'm so grateful and that he invited me to go out. And I went and played with him. And they were very easy holes, the first three. It was a country club out in the country. And I parred the first three holes. After that, I had my nines and tens, but the, I was hooked. And my dad, who was a very poor man, worked in the gold mine, 8,000 feet underground, never made more than 100 pounds a month. And as a supportive family, so grateful that he took me out to play golf. I mean, I, I can never, I say a prayer at least five times a day for all different kinds of things, whether it be trees or my wonderful wife or my family or my health or whatever it may be. I, I find myself saying a prayer of gratitude all the time. And one of the great prayers I say is the fact that I started playing this incredible game of golf. I don't think many people can say they had three pars on the first three holes of, of their career in golf. So that's, that's quite impressive and certainly set the stage for you moving forward. The course that you could play if you had only one course to play for the rest of your life was Blair Athol. Am I saying that right? Yes, it was Blair Athol. Uh, that's where my farm used to be. 
and it's one of the best golf courses I've played in the world. But we have a golf course in South Africa now called the Lynx, that it's in the top 35 in the world. I think it's in the top five in the world, quite honestly. It was an airport where we built this golf course. Oh, my word, what a golf course this is. They've had the uh, South African Open there. They've had the Women's Tournament of, of European Tour there. They've had a lot of uh, very, very big tournaments. They had the President's Cup there when Nicholas and I captained the teams and we tied uh, in the President's Cup and we had that wonderful match. Uh, I'd say that would be the best course that we've designed up to date. Then you called it golf at its most pure. Um, and certainly one I would love to see someday. And then a lot of people, I think, have the same answer as you to this question, but the course that you'd play if you just had one more round left to play, and that was St. Andrews. Yes, I'd rank St. Andrews up there and say because it's steeped in tradition and history and I had to sleep on the beach instead of being in a hotel and I understand what's transpired there over the years, the wonderful golfers that have played there and the home of golf. You go out there, Arnold Palmer and I went out at 10 o'clock one night. We had 5,000 people. People just phoned each other all over the time. It's like today's modern convenience, just press a button and everybody knows what's happening. We didn't have it then, but everybody was on the phone, said, player and Palmer are playing, let's go. And they all brought their dogs out and they all walked around us. We only played them. We played the first, we played the second, and we played uh, the 17th and the 18th. My goodness me, it was hard to believe. A very, very special place. It, yeah. it, it, it brings back the old guys, Tom Morris, and Harry Varden and all these old people that play golf that you are so thankful for them, what they did for the game. Just as I'm so grateful what people like Ben Hogan and Jimmy DeMerit and Sam Sneed and people like that did for the game before us. And Bobby Jones, who may be the best player that ever lived. If I was a young guy, I'd get a, a video of Bobby Jones and watch his swing and copy it and just copy his swing. A lot of pros would change his swing today, however, that don't know much about the game, but he had the most perfect golf swing. He was the most perfect gentleman, always clean-shaven, always well-dressed, had a command of the English language, was a lawyer, and was a gentleman. Did you, was, was he a, a role model of yours from a young age, or did you have a particular person in golf that was your role model? I didn't know sufficient about Bobby Jones. I'm very sorry that I was so naive. And Jack Nicholas, my dear friend, pointed out to me, and he was, Jack Nicholas was the greatest gentleman I ever played with. He pointed out about Bobby Jones' tributes, and I later found out and watched. And he was not my role model coming up. He's one of my role models now, but Ben Hogan was. I was always flabbergasted how well he played and the adversity he came back from as Tiger Woods came back from that his time. But Ben Hogan came back from five years in the war, had to go to war in his prime. Think about that. Think about that. And then comes back and has an accident and can't play again. So in 30 majors in his prime, he wins nine majors, but in 30 years, Excuse me, in 30 majors he never participated in. I think he would have gone out as the greatest golfer in history. We're talking about if, though, and unfortunately, the only way you can judge golfers, 
no ifs and charisma and this and that, hitting the ball a long way, beautiful swing. What's on the paper? Look at the record on the paper and study it diligently and you'll see who the best players in the world were. And I think you would be up there among the best of all time as well. And it's been a pleasure talking to you today. That's all I have for you. And, and I hope that uh, you're able to get out and play. Maybe on the simulator, you'll be able to go play St. Andrews later today if, you, if you'd like. Um, <laughs> well, the golf courses are open here today in this area. Uh, we've had six weeks. I've never had six weeks of not playing golf since I've been a pro. So we're going out to play to, on Saturday, and I can't wait to go and play. Uh, we're going to play um, where I won the PGA in, 19, in 1962. We're going to go play. Very good. I actually just so recently, um, this is kind of a off topic, but my favorite win of yours of all time, you may not be able to guess this, but it's 1970, the Greater Greensboro Open. And that's because my grandfather was the chairman of that tournament in 1975. Really? Um, so I, my, unfortunately, my grandmother passed away recently, but we, she had stored up a bunch of uh, his memorabilia from that tournament. So we've been going through and, and looking through old Polaroid pictures of him and as chairman with Arnold Palmer on the tee and Tom Weisskopf, Lee Trevino. I've yet to find a picture of you, but we're going to keep digging through there because I knew you won that tournament. Uh, yes, I, I really did. It was also a very sad tournament for me because a few years later, I was leading Arnold Palmer uh, by about five shots, or even might have been six shots. And we played 36 holes because we were washed out. And I came in after shooting 67 in the morning, and I was checking my scorecard. In those days, we didn't have officials helping us. And the one lady said, you know, you're on the tee. And 15 minutes. I said, no, we got 30 minutes for lunch. She says, no, they've changed it to 15 minutes. And she distracted me and I gave her my card. And I'm always very meticulous with my card. I walked one step out of the trailer and I walked back and signed it. Just one mere yard. And I got on the first tee and I thought, well, I better check on this. And I called for a PGA man. I came and I said, look, Jack, I walked out of the tent by one yard before going back to sign my card. He says, pack your bags. I had to shoot 77 to win the tournament. So wow. Sad moment for me at Greensboro. Goodness. <laughs> Sorry to bring up a bad memory. <laughs> no, that's all right. You know, life is, life is very good and bad. You know, we've got to realize if only we could get this to more young people. I'm very disenchanted with educational systems, taking uh, religion and exercises uh, out of school, uh, I don't think they teach children how to greet children properly. I, I wish I had the money of a Bill Gates that I could build my ideal school with proper dress code and standing up when the teacher comes in the classroom, saying a prayer for whatever religion you are. It doesn't matter, just to make you realize how fortunate you are. And also exercising and teaching children to eat properly and to honor their mother and their father and to stay away from drugs I'd just love to have it, but I'll never have the money of Bill Gates, so that dream has gone out the window. You've still got some time left. We, we'll work on that. <laughs> I need a lot of time. <laughs> Take all care. Right. Take care. Thank you so much. Good luck on Saturday. And my love to all your uh, uh, viewers and uh, readers. Thank you, Mr. Player. All right.